Welcome to the next great podcast. iHeartRadio's talent scouts have been on the hunt for the freshest, funniest, and most compelling voices out there. We've sifted through thousands of incredible entries. Now, we're giving 10 lucky teams the chance to impress you. To crown the next great podcast, listen to these 10 pilots, and then vote for your favorite at thenextgreatpodcast.com. Today's entry comes from Gerald Mallory and is called 438, The Original Social Media. This is a stunning and bizarre story that initially, at least on its surface, might seem too niche to gain much attention. But once you start digging, you realize just how many layers there are to explore. From the pluses and pitfalls of any platform that brings strangers together to the tendency of powerful people in any sphere to take advantage of their position. It also taps into 90s nostalgia in a big way by focusing both on these phone hotlines as well as on pro wrestling. My name is Jerry Mallory, and you're listening to the pilot of the 438 Podcast as part of the Next Great Podcast competition from iHeartRadio and Tango. Listeners should be aware that some content of this podcast could be disturbing and has subjects that touch on criminal sexual conduct. February of the year 2000, the cops burst through the doors and raid his Southfield, Michigan apartment. This was the day local celebrity Jim Thompson was taken into police custody. He was a person of interest and the cops had assigned a task force who had been closely watching him now for over a week. But no matter how much preparation they put into this case, there was nothing that could prepare them for what they would find in his cluttered apartment. What did they find? Hundreds of photos of underage boys lining the walls, even several posters of missing boys. An electronic device which contained names, telephone numbers, and even some addresses of over 1,200 teenage boys. Hours of video and audio recordings of young men. When brought in for questioning, amongst other things, he admitted to paying these young ones to tie him up and torture him. You know, the cops had to wonder, how did Thompson get so much access and so much information on these young men? See, this was in the 90s. So this is before the boom of the internet. So that was not his weapon of choice. But as for me and all those who were a part of the 438 community, once this news broke, it now made perfect sense. Please read It is Friday, January the 22nd, 1999. I'm Brian Gorey. Thank you very much for calling the pool wrestling insider. So ECW is supposed to be represented on Tuesday Night Wars, and it's theoretically that would actually have a place on Tuesday Night Wars, considering the fact that ECW has become a major player in professional wrestling in the last, I don't know, two years or so, having pay-per-views and all. Welcome to the 438 Podcast. Again, my name is Jerry Mallory. In this series, we will discuss the riveting true story of a unique community. We'll talk about this community's culture, its people, but also its real-life villain. Some have even dubbed this community as the original social media. This was a time before everyone had access to the internet. 
This was where a diverse group of people, suburban kids, city kids, white, black, boy, girl, men and women of all ages, all used technology of the time to bridge the gap that separated and in many ways segregated communities of Metro Detroit in the 1990s. And with this special community we established, we formed stories and most importantly, friendships, some of which have even stood to this day some two decades later. And in this podcast, we will also be talking about the absolute shadow cast by Jim Thompson, a Detroit News columnist who went by the pen name of ML Curley. He used his own position in the pro wrestling hotline community to prey on young boys. I've relayed this story to family and friends throughout the years, and everyone that I've mentioned this to has walked away intrigued, shocked by the stories, their hearts were warmed by the nostalgia of the 90s, and everyone was always left wanting to hear more. But I'd be doing this story a disservice if I was the only voice painting this picture. So we're going to hear from a large number of past members from this community. But in order to fully understand the 4th year 8 community, we have to understand the scene of Metro Detroit in the 90s, particularly with its connection to professional wrestling. Pro wrestling in the 90s was huge. It didn't matter if you were a fan of pro wrestling or not back then. There's no denying it had a huge pop culture impact. TV shows, movies, magazines, it was all over the place. It was no denying it. In the early 90s, you got guys like Hulk Hogan, Macho Man Randy Savage, and the whole Hulkamania era that ran wild. But then in the late 90s, that was my time. It was known as the Attitude Era, and I loved it. We all loved it. It was edgy. It was something different. It really fit perfectly for what a teenage boy would be into. It was just what we wanted to see. And guys like Stone Cold Steve Austin and The Rock was at the front of it all. Now, talking about Detroit and its scene with wrestling in the 90s, it was like a perfect marriage. My city, Detroit, Michigan, is a blue-collar town. Professional wrestling is a blue-collar sport, a form of entertainment. We had WrestleMania three here in the 80s, and that still might be considered the biggest wrestling event in history because you had Hulk Hogan defeating Andre the Giant. Over 90,000 was in attendance. It was a huge deal right there in Pontiac, Michigan, just a few miles outside of Detroit. Now, that momentum of WrestleMania three and all the hype it got surrounded here in Detroit carry right over into the 90s as Detroit, Michigan was an absolute hotbed for pro wrestling, not just the big guys, not just the major corporations, WWF, World Wrestling Federation, WCW World Championship Wrestling. Those were the two big promotions. We were also known as being a place in which the smaller organizations known as independent wrestling promotions We were known to be a hotbed for them as well. But as wrestling grew in popularity in the 90s, more and more fans wanted access to things other than just what they saw on TV or on pay-per-view. See, now fans wanted news, rumors, gossip, anything that could help them to feel like they were getting the inside scoop, the background story, what was happening with their favorite wrestlers. And in the 90s, this meant calling into the pro wrestling hotlines. All right, Gene Okerlund back here on TBS. Attention, hotline fans. On my exclusive hotline report tonight, 
I have got a doozy at 1-900-909-9900. That's 1-900-909-9900. All of the news that you need to know in the wrestling world tonight, exclusively on the WCW Hotline. The wrestling hotlines had all of the things that you would want as a wrestling fan. See, now, if we have a hobby and we want to get into the intricacies and the details, we can simply go on the Internet right there on our phones and access this extra information. That wasn't the case then. So the hotlines was the beacon for all of that. They were voiced by some of the biggest names in pro wrestling. Guys like me and Gene Okerlund would do the hotline updates. Wrestlers like Hulk Hogan would be special guests with interviews. I mean, it was something we all wanted access to. But there was one problem with these hotlines, and it was a huge problem. These 1-900 numbers could sometimes cost as much as $2 per minute. I was 12 years old. Where was I going to get that type of money? I couldn't afford it. I didn't have my own phone, much less the ability to pay dozens, if not hundreds of dollars for a single phone call. It would have been absurd for me to even ask my parents if I could call one of those 1-900 numbers. They cost so much, so it wasn't an option for me. So imagine my surprise and delight when one day, while thumbing through the yellow pages, I find a local, toll-free pro wrestling hotline. I was so surprised. I was amazed. I was so excited. I dialed that number. I'll never forget those digits, 313-252-2200. And that would be the first time that I heard M.L. Curley's voice. Hey, Bob Lossick, it's M.L. I got the latest message you sent me, and I was checking the revolution again to see if Mr. Up on that run shot that was back then. <laughs> you do a great imitation of Jason Shy, that was awesome. Um, you know, it did occur to me, there was a rumor going around about, I don't know, six, seven months ago, I have no idea. If it's- M.L. Curley was the host of what was called the News Now Pro Wrestling Hotline. He gave us news, he gave us views, opinions, interviews, even wrestling results, and we loved it. We all would listen. We would call in several times a week to hear what he had to say. It was just as good as those 1-900 numbers, but we didn't have to pay a dime. But then something happened. He started to promote another line. This one was toll-free as well. It began with the infamous Detroit 313 area code. We were delighted, and it was now a number that we could call. It was another hotline that we could listen to. And this was the beginning of the 438 community. As he plugged the second hotline in our Metro Detroit area, 313-438-1415. Let's now hear from Anthony, someone who I now have called my friend for over 20 years because of the 438s as he describes the community even further. So ML Curley's, this is September, 1996. So you call up, it's a local line. It doesn't cost anything. It's only about five minute limit, but he gives you just jam packed information. He talked a million miles an hour. Then one day he just says, he says, call D-Dog, call the, um, call 313-438-3024, call D-Dog, you know, wrestling hotline. And then I said, holy crap, here's another free hotline. Let me call this one up. So that was the first ever 438 line I heard. The 438s allowed you to leave a message at the end of it. It allowed you to leave a message and ask the host or ask the hot, uh, the owner of the 438 line whatever question you wanted to ask. And that was the first interaction I had. Any questions, comments, concern, leave them after the beat. And I remember I asked him like, just something simple, like an 11 year old would ask, like, what do you like better, WWF or WCW? And then the next day he answered my question. I was like, holy, this is actually like, 
interactive, like I'm interacting with an actual hotline host. And then he would, and then I remember he plugged Brian Gorey's line, 4381415. And then he plugged the revolution, 4381592. And then before you know it, I got this big, huge, giant list of a bunch of free hotlines that you could leave messages to. Okay, so let's get the technical things out of the way and explain exactly what the 438s were. We affectionately called them the 438s because it was a series of toll-free hotlines and they all began with 313 area code. Then the next three digits for all of these lines were 438. Now, these were actually voicemail system that was provided by the phone company Ameritech. It was a long-form voicemail system where you could leave a 10-minute voicemail and it was really catered to businesses. A business could pay for this about $10 a month and they could have a 10 minute voicemail. You could leave messages and they even had options you can dial to get more access. But there was someone smart enough to look at this feature, see that it was for businesses and turn it into a wrestling hotline. And it caught like wildfire here in Metro Detroit. Again, especially for younger ones. We didn't have the money for the 1-900 lines so this was perfect for us. And so the 438 community was created. Now, what was special about these 438 hotlines was the fact that there was back and forth communication. You could leave a message to someone. Sometimes they would answer your question on their next update. You could leave your phone number. They would call you. And this is how we started to form friendships and relationships. It was similar to a bulletin board. You can leave something on that bulletin board. Someone sees it. They respond or even like we see today with uh, emailing someone or being in a chat room. We now had the ability to have back and forth communication while still enjoying various features of wrestling hotlines. And this is why the 438s, again, as we call it, them were so popular. One of the original members of this community, Ray Posey, illustrates this point. The best way to describe it was that we were all auditioning for Vince McMahon. Not to become wrestlers, but to become announcers, play-by-play, people that tell the story that makes the show better. That's what we were doing. One thing we all loved was that a lot of the 4-3-8s became about being a character. Like the wrestlers that we all loved, we wanted to entertain one another. And a lot of the hotlines became about character acting. It was less about reporting and start to shift and to us becoming these characters. It was performance, it was trash talk, just like right here from the man we knew as Hardcore Warrior. But just like any other form of social media today, the 438 community had good, bad, and ugly. And we're going to talk about all three of those phases in this podcast series. You know, when I think about the 438s in the good times, I hold those near and dear to my heart. 
Let's meet a few more members of the 438 community as Brian and Rob describe the good times. The best thing that happened to me in my life was the 438. I met Rob and Rob opened up worlds for me. And Brian, I mean, I, you know, I feel the same way um, when it comes to, I mean, you're like my brother. So, I mean, and, and again, that was only because of the 438s. And I mean, my friendship with Brian, it's, I mean, guy stood up my wedding. My kids call him Unky Brian. I mean, he's Unky Brian. I was not a popular kid in high school. I was not, I was not able to be myself in a lot of ways. And Rob introduced me to all the friends that I know today. Some of the bad times were no doubt drama filled and we'd like to forget them, but they're part of our history. Again, here's Brian and Rob. So, yeah, so I thought about that, that Nate kid, um, the day we were supposed to meet, I view that as the day that I didn't die. And we were feuding at the time. I'm like, wow, this neighborhood doesn't really look like anything I'm kind of used to. I do remember that day and just being like so gung ho to like, I don't know, even and do it, do it for the update. And, and just we, we had to settle this and, and we were going to do it. And I was a I was a total like totally like I was like, what are we going to do? Like, I don't know. We could get there. What if he's way bigger than us? Like, we don't know what he looks like. We, I mean, what if this dude's like huge? Within those bad times were various moments of tension, racial tension, social economic tension and everything in between but nothing was uglier than the shadow cast by the man we all looked up to ml curly ml curly's real name was jim thompson and he worked for the detroit news while his main job there was a sports statistician he also wrote a regular pro wrestling column for the paper under that pen name but his main claim to fame was the news now pro wrestling hotline This is where Jim would give the inside scoop on all of the wrestling world. Now, let's listen in to Anthony as he once again retells the type of impact that ML Curley's hotline had. I used to make money because of ML Curley. You'd give away the raw result. The average 11 or 12 year old would think that Monday Night Raw was live. I'd call ML, get the results. I bet I'll bet you five bucks. I'll bet you 10 bucks. You know, for a young teenager like myself and the countless number of other teens who call these hotlines in the Metro Detroit area. In our minds, the hierarchy was as if Vince McMahon was the most powerful figure in wrestling. Followed by him was WCW official Eric Bischoff. But then right after that was ML Curley. He would interview guys like Eric Bischoff and Hulk Hogan. He had all of the news before anyone else. He was viewed very powerful in our eyes and he knew that. Here's Ray detailing this a little bit further. That was the rumor. If you got cool with ML Curley, he had people from WCW around him and you may be able to get a rub and get a job. Thompson grew up with an adoptive father, David Wyman. Wyman was a social work professor at Wayne State University right here in Detroit, Michigan. And he was famous for advocating children's rights. And as Anthony told me, Thompson took an interest in his father's work for his own reasons. In fact, if we think about it, he was very much so highly regarded in the wrestling circles. And he'd waste no time reminding you that even on his hotline. Like, for some reason, the people at WCW are mesmerized by me. I have no idea why. They have been for years. Breslov always called my line. I never understood why there's hundreds of lines out there. And Thompson wasn't just looming above us. As Rob tells us, 
Thompson took an interest in the 438 community itself. And sometimes it was just way too close. And that's when people started to take note. He came to my house once and he came to my place of work twice. And yeah, the one time we didn't realize it. But yeah, I feel like he was like, hey, you guys like my car? You guys like wrestling? Hey, you guys. uh..." I was like, oh, yeah, this is this guy. He's like, uh, he does wrestling updates with us. He's like, oh, all right. (laughs) Brian had a similar experience as well. I remember the first time I had off like real world uh, uh, meetings with ML Curley. He messaged me while I was out. I believe I was at the high school football game. He left me a, a voice message that said, I'm at the 7-Eleven by your house. Sorry, I missed you. And I was like, oh, that's weird. The next time, it was probably a week later, he came over. He had his Corvette, a red Corvette. And I didn't want to let him in the house. And I was like, no, we're just going to go all around the back. And we did like an update or something. I forget what we did, you know, and then he left. And then the next time I saw him, he was just in my neighborhood and he was in his Viper. And I remember getting off the bus and seeing him ride by on the Viper. And then he pulled up to my house and he's in my house when I get home and he's talking to my mother. Okay. And he was like, I just wanted to take you for a ride in the Viper. I'm like, okay. Get in the Viper. He goes up my uh, main street in the neighborhood. He floors it. The car was very powerful and just gave you that tummy tickle. It immediately made me feel feel very unsafe because I knew he was bad news. I knew everybody did. And then he's just like, oh, and that's a cool ride. Um, do you have any friends? And I'm like, they're all at football practice. And he's like, oh, what a shame. And he just rides around and drops me off. I go back to the side and tell my mother. I said, you didn't think it was creepy that he came over? And and she's like, no. I'm like, don't ever let him in our house. So far, we've given just a glimpse of this story. We ask that you please join us as this journey unfolds. From the nostalgic coming of age nature of the 90s and the fourth rate community to the tragic story of Jim M.L. Curly Thompson. The fourth rate podcast will discuss how this community even grew to involve other hotlines outside of wrestling. We'll also be spending time honoring some of the key figures of our community that unfortunately are no longer here with us. In all, we will hear from a large cast of characters as they discuss their contributions to and recollections of the 438s. Included in that is even some who had personal encounters with ML Curley himself. For nearly 25 years, the story of the 438s and ML Curley has been told to small groups of friends, amongst peers, and other members of the community. But now, it's time for the world to hear this story. So buckle up. It's a fun ride and a wave of emotions. The 438s were truly the original social media, and it's a story that you will never forget. Thank you for listening to the pilot episode of the 438 podcast. Again, my name is Jerry Mallory, and clearly I was not the only one that played a part in this, as you heard from several key members of this community. So we'd like to thank you as well. Anthony, Brian, Rob, and Ray Posey. We also like to give a thanks to our producer, Chris Perfett. Now, if you want to hear more of this riveting true story, and we are assured that you do, please vote for us. 
We're proud to be a part of this lovely contest from iHeartRadio and Tongle. And this story has so much more to offer. So in order to hear that, the only way that's possible is by your votes. So we ask that you vote for our podcast as we can further this story. And we guarantee you it's one that you will never forget. Thank you.